The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 $50 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Ladies and gentlemen, we often discuss reparations here on the show, but we know that there's an argument for national reparations. There are also arguments for local reparations and reparations mean more than just a period of enslavement, but also have to do with all of the vestiges of enslavement, all the things that happened subsequent to enslavement that enslavement uh, caused and that sprang from enslavement. Some people don't want to talk about that, but everything that we've experienced since then uh, is a vestige for which there ought to be reparations. And obviously, one of the most renowned incidents or vestiges occurred to Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And joining us today is our dear brother who is representing the few remaining survivors of the 1921 Tulsa race riot they filed suit and just a couple of weeks ago got some pretty good news in terms of the, where the suit is in the process. So we're happy to hear about that now from our dear brother, attorney DeMario Solomon Simmons. Brother DeMario, welcome to Make It Plain. How are you? Man, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Great to be here with you, Mark, and the, everything that you do for our community. So I'm excited to be here to talk about the latest update in our 100 plus year battle to get justice for Greenwood. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's start then go through the chronology, because when we talk about 100 years, how long has it been since the suit itself has been filed? How long has that been in the process? So our particular lawsuit, the current lawsuit was actually filed in September of 2020. But the reason why I say 100 plus years of this fight, because you know, you have to go back to the massacre, uh, which was in uh, May 31st, June 1st, 1921. And I always like to start here, Mark, that even at the time of the massacre, our people were fighting back, okay? We were eventually overcome when you had a mob of 
tens of thousands of whites and the National Guard and the machine guns and the planes dropping the bombs. But we literally were fighting from day, once they invaded our community, we fought back. And those black men who put everything on the line to protect their businesses, protect their property, and most importantly, protect their, their women and children, I'm proud to be from them. I'm proud to stand on their shoulders. After the massacre ended, lawsuits started to be filed literally days after the massacre. Can you imagine you are filing a lawsuit in the exact legal system of the people that just burnt down your community, just burned out your neighbors, just killed your family members, but they did it. People like attorney BC Franklin was filing lawsuits while working out of a tent. Those lawsuits didn't go anywhere. For 20 years, they languished in the Tulsa County court system. And then they were summarily dismissed around about 15 years, about 1937. Then people kept fighting, even though there was a conspiracy of silence. For 75 years, the city of Tulsa and other perpetrators denied that the massacre even happened. But once they couldn't deny it any longer, uh, towards the end of the 90s, they had to come, you know, come face to face with their history, which is another reason why they want to talk about CRT and take out our history. They don't want to just not take, take out our history. They don't want to talk about their own history. But back to Greenwood. In the early 2000s, a report was, was produced by the state of Oklahoma, some courageous Black legislators, Representative Don Rawls, State Representative, and State Senator Maxine Horner. In this 200-page document highlighting and outlining the massacre, it talked about who was culpable, which included the city of Tulsa, the Chamber of Commerce, the, the Sheriff's Department, state of Oklahoma itself, right? And they called for reparations in the form of cash payments to the survivors, the descendants, scholarships, and also rebuilding the area. The state and the city said, hey, we're not gonna do that. So Johnny Cochran, Professor Charles Ogletree, Audra Artur, which I know you know, individuals, these great lawyers came in and they, on the reparations, reparations coordinating committee, they came in and filed a lawsuit. And I, at that time, was serving as a National Black Law Student Association's reparations director, National Reparations Director. Got connected with these lawyers, sitting at the feet of these giants, and that case was filed, a federal case, civil rights case, in 2003. That case was dismissed based upon statute of limitations, complete racism. Went to the 10th Circuit in 2004, the case was dismissed again, or affirmed is a proper legal term. The dismissal was affirmed. We, at that time, I had graduated law school, was a baby lawyer, and was just happy to get coffee and make copies and whatever I could do to be a part of this fight. And during that capacity, that two or three year period, in 2005, we went to the Supreme Court, protesting outside of the Supreme Court, asking them to take up our case, and they denied us, quote, without comment. Devastating loss. At that time, Mark, we had over 150 living survivors. And they started just dying, 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 dying each year. These are people I spent, many of these people I knew my whole life, Mark. And I didn't even realize that they had been involved in the massacre. Mm. So that's how much it was not talked about. I went to school on Greenwood Avenue, Carver Middle School. Went to Booker T. Washington High School on the north side, Greenwood. Never heard about the massacre, never heard about Greenwood until I went to college in 1997. So 2007, the great late uh, Representative John Conyers introduced 
legislation to try to revive the, to remove the statute of limitations arguments. That was introduced in 2007, 2008, 2009. It got introduced every year to about 2013. It never actually even got passed. We had a hearing one time in 2007. Beyond that, we never got a vote on, never got out of committee. Mark, by this time, we're down to 20, you know, 25, 30 survivors. And then they're dying and dying and dying. We get to 2019, we have the most prominent survivor that was still left was Dr. Olivia Hooker, who was actually in New York. Um, she passed away. Then we had a couple others pass away and we were, we were dejected, Mark, because all these survivors are starting to die. And it was at that time in 2019 that we said, there's no way we cannot try this again. We got to figure out some legal theory and that's part of the problem, Mark, as you know, is there is a wrong that's so clear, but we have to jump through these hoops of this system that's not set up for us. And we have to do all these mental gymnastics and try to figure out and be smart and come up with this different stuff when we should be able to just stand up and say, you know, this was a wrong, you know, you need to write it, but it doesn't work that way for black people. So we accept that challenge. That's part of what my grandma would say, the black tax. And with this, with this challenge in mind, we decided to try again. And I saw my friend, Eric Miller, and you remember this, Mark, in 2019, around Juneteenth, they had a, uh, a panel, they had a hearing on HR 40. Right, right, right. And Eric Miller, Professor Eric Miller, was at Loyola Marymount. He was a part of the litigation that I just told you about, the federal litigation in the early 2000s. He was one of 20 people to testify. And he was the only person that mentioned Tulsa that said, hey, you cannot have a discussion about reparations if you don't have a discussion about Tulsa. Tulsa, yeah. I saw Eric, I hadn't talked to him about five, six years. Saw, saw that clip, reached out to him on, on Twitter. Said, man, we gotta try something again. We put our heads together. We kind of pulled together the team again. Many of the older lawyers were not available anymore. Obviously Johnny Cochran has passed. Those who don't know, Professor Charles Ogletree uh, has Alzheimer's, uh, which is devastating. I love him dearly. I think about him often. He did so much for me personally and for our community. Sure. Uh, but we pulled together a group of lawyers and we started researching, 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 and everything we were going down is dead end because everything was going to hit us with a statute of limitations, statute of limitations. But here in Oklahoma, man, we have this public nuisance law. And this public nuisance law, which was being utilized at the time by the state of Oklahoma to bring lawsuit against opioid manufacturers. And this public nuisance law is so powerful. It's been on the books since 1910. And for one over, 100, over 100 years, it's been utilized thousands of times in the state of Oklahoma. And it simply says that if you do an unlawful action or you injure property or make it uninhabitable, that you're liable to fix that as long as the nuisance continues. You have to, with the legal term is to abate it. So in other words, think about, think about it this way, Mark, mm. and the listeners. Imagine an oil tanker is out in the, the river and it's spilling oil thousands of gallons an hour. That's clearly a nuisance, right? You see the oil spiller. But, they, but then the authorities, they plug the hole in the tanker. So it's no longer spilling oil. Mm -hmm. But that oil has now floated down rivers and it has coated the beaches and it's killing the wildlife, it's polluting the air, it's polluting the water. If it does not matter that the spill has stopped, 
if that oil is still on the ground causing problems 10 years, 50 years, 100 years later, it's still a nuisance. And until that nuisance is abated, you still have a claim that is outside of statute of limitation. That is what happened in Tulsa. The 1921 Tulsa race massacre is when a mob of tens of thousands of whites who were deputized and armed by the city of Tulsa, the county of Tulsa, the state of Oklahoma, the Chamber of Commerce, came into the black community of Greenwood, the most prosperous black community in the history of this nation, 40 square blocks, over 1,500 homes, over 200 businesses, 10 to 15,000 residents, but at any time, 20 to 25,000 people would be in Greenwood. It was the city to all these black towns in Oklahoma, kind of like Manhattan is to you New Yorkers. They burnt down property, they killed people, they committed numerous crimes, and they never done anything to rebuild. In fact, they continue to exacerbate or exaggerate or make worse the nuisance that they created. Therefore, our statute of limitations does not apply until they fix the problem or abate it. That's our case in a nutshell. And so we filed our case in September 2020. The case, the other, the, the defendants filed what's called a motion to dismiss. They said we had no right to be in court. Kick us out of court. And, that, and the defendants now, we're talking about the city. We're talking about the city of Tulsa. Right. Tulsa County, Tulsa Chamber of Commerce, Tulsa County Sheriff's Office, the Oklahoma National Guard, and, and two other entities called Tulsa Development Authority and Tulsa Metropolitan Planning Area Commission. Those are our seven defendants. They all stood up and said, yeah, the massacre was a bad deal. Yeah, it was terrible, but that was a long time ago. And what can we do about it now? But Mark and listeners, God and the ancestors were on our side on May 2nd. Because on May 2nd, we had a hearing in front of our judge, Judge Caroline Wall in Tulsa County, district judge. We had our three, we only have three living survivors, known living survivors left. And that's 108-year-old Mother Viola Fletcher, 107-year-old Leslie Benefield Randall, and 101-plus Hughes Van Ellis, who we call Uncle Red. They were there in that courtroom, along with my amazing legal team, which includes lawyers from all around the country, including my uh, one law firm based in New York, Schulte, Walton and Zabel, who've been tremendously uh, great uh, co-counsel my Justice for Greenwood uh, Foundation team, and our entire community. Mark, it was, I've been practicing law maybe 18 years in October. I had never seen anything like what happened on May 2nd, Monday, May 2nd, 2022. The courtroom had hundreds of people in there. Mm -hmm. It was literally people standing alongside the, alongside the rows, and it was people standing outside the courtroom. It was like a scene out of a movie. If you ever seen the movie, I'm sure you have a time to kill with Samuel Jackson. Right, right, right. And you remember how that courtroom was just packed. Yeah. It was a scene like that. I've never seen that in all my years of practice. Um, and you have my team and our survivors and the communities out there. And we had, you know, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee came down. And yeah. my good friend, uh, uh, attorney, the great civil rights attorney, Barbara Arwine and Daryl Jones came down and 
so many others came down from out of town. And on the other side, you have this, uh, the defendants, all white uh, attorneys, six men and one white woman. And it's just, a, it's like a movie scene. And we, we had this argument in front of our judge and explaining to her that all we're asking for at this time, Mark, is the, the ability to move our case forward. Like she was not gonna rule to, on March 2nd if we win, if we get remedies, if we get abatement. And abatement is the legal term. It just means to repair. It just means to fix. So it's the same as reparations. Because as you know, Mark and listeners, reparations is just to repair. It's just a, to, re, to, to make good the harms that were done. But on May 2nd, we were not even at that stage. We were simply saying for the first time in history, give us an opportunity to have a case to move forward so we can prove our nuisance and then we can prove what remedies we need. And I am so elated as you probably can hear and you can see, I'm still on cloud now. You asked me before we started how I'm feeling. I'm still feeling amazing. I'm still feeling fantastic because on May 2nd, 2022, our judge from the bench, which is unusual, said that a part of our case is gonna move forward. She said that she was granting in part the defendant's motion to dismiss, but denying in part. That means that some portion of our case is moving forward. Now, even though we still, as I'm talking to you right now, May 12, 2022, we don't know what portion of our case is moving forward because we haven't received the written order yet. We hope to have it by tomorrow. But we celebrated a victory that has never happened before. That a case related to the Tulsa Race Massacre brought by Black people who were victimized was able to move forward in some form or fashion. Now, obviously we cannot wait to see exactly what that's gonna mean for us, but regardless of what, we're still alive. And I know I've, I know I've talked so far, I haven't given you the opportunity to answer any questions, but let me say this and I'm gonna be quiet because I know you've got questions and, and we get into this conversation. When I looked around that courtroom and I saw those three survivors in their wheelchairs and the two older women, they, they, they're all very sharp. But the two older women, 108-year-old uh, and 107-year-old, they don't hear as well if you're not talking directly to them, okay? But Uncle Red, 101-plus-year-old, World War II combat veteran, unbelievable, just unbelievable person, he heard everything. And I looked around, and I saw him bawling like a baby mm. with joy. And I just, I just... I just lost it. I just started jumping for joy. I didn't even realize that the courtroom explodes into a justice for Greenwood chant. You know, in Oklahoma, they don't allow you to have cameras in the courtroom. If you saw what, what we experienced, if you saw it on a movie, you would say, that didn't really happen. But it really happened because our community understood this is not just a win for Black people in Tulsa. This is not just a win for Black people in Oklahoma. This is a win for Black people in America because Greenwood's victory, the creation of Greenwood was a, a, a win for Black people in America. The destruction of Greenwood was a blow, a massive blow to Black people in America. But if we're able to win this case and get reparations, abatement for Greenwood, well, we have living survivors, we have documentation, we have video, pictures, everybody agrees what happened. 
That gives us the momentum and a template that's necessary to get reparations throughout this nation. If we lose Greenwood, where we have living survivors, we have video to incident, we have hundreds of pictures, we have agreement of what happened, it sets us back. So this is why this is so important to us as a people, not just as people here in Greenwood, not just black people here in Oklahoma, but as a nation. And what I'm proud of, Mark, is people like you have, have understood this power of this particular project, understood the necessity of Greenwood to be successful. And we have put together a coalition of people throughout this nation that's pushing this forward. And that's the beauty of the work. And I'm just so blessed to be a part of it and to be standing strong for our survivors and for our community here in Tulsa in Oklahoma and for black people in general. So, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to talk about it. As you can see, I, I could talk a whole other hour, but I'm gonna be quiet and let you do some talking. No, it, is, it is your, it is your podcast. No, it, it's, it's, it's ours brother. And we're thankful to all have you uh, engaged in this struggle as our revolutionary attorney. So um, you, you answered, I mean, it's always good when you can have a guest that anticipates all your questions. You answer a lot of them. And I wanted people to hear some of that history. But now you, you mentioned that a portion of the case will go forward. So the judge ruled right there on the spot from the bench. Right. And I know that that caused a lot of elation. Yes. But do, do you have any uh, thoughts about what portion that might be and what I mean what portions are there what portions are, are are there to be considered great question great question so um we had actually two claims the public nuisance claim which is the most powerful claim and what you kind of the headline um because that covers the public nuisance great question mark the public's nuisance is not a claim that's individual to the individual plaintiffs what I mean by that is they're not saying hey, Mother Fletcher, if we win this, Mother Fletcher, you're going to get a certain amount of money. It's much bigger and broader than that. That's why I love it so much. It's saying that the community of Greenwood, the 40 blocks were destroyed, and this is a claim for the community. And as part of the remedies that we ask for and that we believe should be a part of that, one of the remedies is a victim's compensation fund, right? That's just one of the many remedies that we ask for. We ask for a land trust. We ask for abatement of tax from taxes. You know, our argument is if, if the city of Tulsa and the county and the state destroyed the black, pe black people, but we pay taxes to the very people, entities that destroyed us for 100 years, then those taxes should be abated for the next 100 years. So we had very community-wide remedies that we're, that we're asking for. But we also had a claim for what's called unjust enrichment. Unjust enrichment is a claim that says, hey, you have utilized our stories, our death and destruction to raise 30 plus million dollars for a history center that was put there by white folks, for white folks, for tourism dollars. And this was not something that we just made up out of thin air. This was their own terminology that they were building this as to create heritage tourism. And they were building this because they said ha their hashtag was hashtag Tulsa Triumph, hashtag Greenwood Rising. So the history center that they built 
It's called Greenwood Rising. And they said Tulsa Triumph. And we found that to be incredibly, incredibly insulting. Because number one, Tulsa was not destroyed. Greenwood was destroyed. So why are you talking about Tulsa Triumph? Are you saying, are you promoting that Tulsa Triumph over Greenwood? Are you putting as they did in there, they bought a full page ad mark in February of 2021 in a USA Today stating that Tulsa has triumphed. Come to Tulsa for tourism, for heritage tourism. And so we say no. We say no, you don't use the blood money, the blood stories. You, you, you. I'm getting fired up now. Go ahead, bro. You're fine. You're fine. I'm getting fired up now because. Can you imagine someone raping a woman and then writing a book about the rape and then they make the money off the book talking about the rape that they committed? That is exactly what happened here. Well, if somebody can rape women and become president, this is America, so. <laughs> See, don't, don't, start, don't get me started. Yeah, now here you know, only in America. Well, only in America where, <laughs> hey, well, since we're going there, only in America where we send $40 billion overseas to a country that we're not bombing, but, but we bombed our own cities like Tulsa and, and, and Rosewood and Elaine, Arkansas, and zero dollars has been spent from anybody. That's going on right now in America, right now in America. I wrote an article about this in the, uh, published March 11th in the USA Today, 2022, about Ukraine. Look, war is bad. Bombs being dropped on men, women, and children is, is horrible. Nobody wants to see that. But you can't tell me that you can find the dollars. And I'm talking about you know, many of our friends in Congress voting to send that money overseas, but have never voted to give any money to my community here in Tulsa for the Tulsa Race Massacre, where we were bombed from the sky by America. And I have a problem with that, Mark. I have a problem with that. But let me get back to your question. So the two, <laughs> the two issues. So she could decide, and we don't think this is gonna happen, but I haven't read the order. She could decide, hey, the unjust enrichment can go forward, but not the public nuisance. That would be devastating, to be honest with you. I don't think that's gonna happen, but it'd be devastating. Or she could decide the public nuisance going forward and not the unjust enrichment. Or, or and, and or, you know, we had nine named plaintiffs on the case. But again, that's not that important because they were named plaintiffs to be representative of the community. Right, 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 right. And we had to hit some, I don't want to get too legally technical, but we had to hit some, 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 some baseline legal requirements for standing and things of that nature. So we had to have certain people on there. But some of our people that are on, listed on there, they don't actually live in the community today. Their families were driven out. For instance, A.J. Smitherman, um, who was a very prominent attorney. He owned what was called the Tulsa Star newspaper. It, is the, it was the first African-American newspaper in the nation to have a nationwide circulation out of Tulsa. He was also the longtime president of the, uh, what was called the Western Negro Press Association. Uh, which is basically like an AP service. Right, right, right. Um, very prominent man. He was a leader of Greenwood, crusader against lynching, not scared of white folks, writing front page articles on a daily basis. 
He was run out of Tulsa. They tried to lynch him. He was run out during the massacre. They destroyed all his property. And then they falsely and bogusly uh, indicted him along with a hundred of other, other leaders for felony, uh, with felony, so they could never come back. So we believe that his family would be here in Tulsa right today if not for what happened. So we placed one of his relatives, descendants, one of his grandchildren as a plaintiff. The judge may decide, we don't know, that, hey, he doesn't have standing today to be a part of this lawsuit because he doesn't live in the city, in the area that's impacted by the nuisance. So those are the type of things that she could do. Um, we don't want to lose anybody from the case, obviously. We want to move forward with everybody intact completely. Um, but as long as we have one person, <laughs> yeah, we can move forward and get the relief that we seek. And how can none of those individuals have standing? That would be absurd. Let me ask this, though. You mentioned the, the community claim. So are, are there no individual claims? from there, any is, there, there is no individual claims. Yeah, yeah, I got in you. In this lawsuit. And, it, and so that's another way that we were able to get around the statute of limitations. You know, I really appreciate this conversation and really having the time to unpack this with you because, um, and I know your audience, that your audience in particular uh, will appreciate this too because you guys, you know, you make it plain. <laughs> you dived in. That's what you do. That's what you've been doing for many, many years. When I talked about off the top again, having to go through the mental gymnastics and, and, and find all the loopholes and try to be creative to figure out how we can move a case forward. If you try to bring a case for individuals, damages, money damages, you automatically hit with statute of limitations, you're dead in the water. But this is an equitable claim. Equitable claim, I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not asking primarily for money damages. Now, as part of abating the nuisance, we argue, we will argue again, that it requires money. And that's why I was saying some of the things we asked for, scholarship fund, uh, 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 victim's compensation, those type of things as part of our abatement plan will cost money. But we have to prove that up. And, and just so people be clear again, I think sometimes, Mark, and you know this so well, sometimes people realize, don't realize that while we as Black people, most of us spend all our time, a lot of our time in our communities around Black people, we're still a very small portion of this population, you know, 13, 14, 15% or whatever. And so particularly when you're in a place like Oklahoma, where we're, we're only 7% of the, of the state population, you know, we don't have the ability to say, this is what we want, you better do it, do it for us, right? Politically, we don't have that ability. Even though we say that, even though we, we fight hard, we still have to work within the confines that we are find ourselves. So that's why we have to go in this court system and use the same laws built by the people that destroyed us to try to use it against them. I think we've done a magnificent job of doing that. I'm proud of the work. It's going to be a model for people, other communities around the country. We're already getting the phone calls uh, because other communities have public nuisance laws and they can utilize this model. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. 
and MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's very important. And it, again, you, I mean, you have been mentored by some of the best, who were mentored by some of the best, and that's been the, the jurisprudence struggle in America, finding that legal theory, using, and they shouldn't be loopholes, these are law. There's a public nuisance law. That's right. That shouldn't even be a trip. That's right. Case closed. That's not, this ain't a stretch. Yeah. It's y'all's law. Yeah. And that's what it says. So what are we right. even talking about? This should this should be open and shut uh, in, in, in terms of this. And um, so now, if the case goes forward, are we talking about a bench trial or a jury trial? So again, it, it depends on what the order says. Gotcha. Um, for the public nuisance, um, it would be a bench trial only. There is a possibility on the unjust enrichment that that could possibly in, involve a jury trial. Um, and so we, we, we really just got to, you know, review that order and then make determinations from there. But here's the thing, Mark. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Whatever that is. Now, in terms, obviously, you've looked at other public nuisance um, cases. And have you found those in, in the county to be upheld? I mean, is there a history of those being upheld? Absolutely. I mean, that's the beauty. And you said it, Mark. You know, I, I use the term loophole. Um, but you're absolutely right. This is the law that's been on the books since 1910. Right, right. This law has been affirmed in Oklahoma for over 100 years. I mean, the, the oldest case we have goes back to 1911 from a law that was put on the books in 1910. It's 2022. Um, this law has been used thousands of times in the state of Oklahoma. And as we pointed out to the Kate, to the judge on May 2nd, the law has been used for things such as, I mean, the Oklahoma Supreme Court has, has litigated and found such things to be a nuisance as, I, I talked about oil spills, I'm talking about smoking indoors, I'm talking about, they have a case where a lady, or some part, I don't know the lady, I assume the lady, but it could have been a man, had 40 cats in their home. And that was considered a nuisance. So it's a wide variety of fact patterns that can be seen a nuisance. The, 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 the thing that has me, well, so many things have me excited. <laughs> The ability, Mark, for the first time in history to have the judicial process and subpoena power to get documents and information about the massacre that's been hidden for 100 years is so mind-blowing. The ability, because of the team that we've been blessed to build, then the resources and anybody that's listening that would like to help us, you know, go to justiceforgreenwood.org you know, sign up for our newsletter, make a donation, stand with us, stand with our survivors, justiceforgreenwood.org. We are going to be able to work with the very top scholars and experts in the world to bring this case. I'm talking about the very top historians, the very top economists, the very top urban planners, archi architects, psychologists, medical doctors, uh, 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 mortuary, you know, uh, actuaries. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. Like Mark, really, I was talking to my one of the clients this morning. In fact, he's a lawyer there, 
in, in, in New York, by the way. And um, I was telling him, I said, you know, really, if this order comes down like the way I expect it to, um, I don't know how I'm gonna have time to do anything else because let's just set aside the legality things. Can we don't you- need you to do nothing else, but go ahead. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you need to, we need you on this. We need you to run point on this. Some folks <laughs> supposed to run point, be the point guard. <laughs> You don't yeah. need to play. You don't need to play wing and center off and nothing. Else. You need to yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead. Right, right, right. Clear right. your calendar. If that yeah, happens. Yeah, because man, man, can you imagine? Oh my god, it, it just oh man, I get so excited thinking about it. We know so little about the tragedies and the atrocities that happened to us overall. Like what we we think we know a lot, but it's still so little. And in Tulsa, we know so little. Today, because we don't have never had real doc access to their documents, right, right, right. right? Their family histories. Look, Mark, they they didn't just burn down everything in Greenwood; they looted everything out of Greenwood first. Okay, yeah. We had testimony from survivors who, for decades after the massacre, they were going to some white home as a repair person or a plumber or a domestic. And they would see their mother's curio. They would see their father's grand piano. They would see their grandmother's picture on the wall. I mean, <laughs> it's just going to be so amazing. You know, we're working with some, uh, some, 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 we have some experts right now. One, you probably know Dr. Derek Hamilton. He's right there at the new school in, in New York. Um, guys like that. We got a, we work with a couple of professors at Harvard University, Professor Nathan Nunn who's already done a lot of research showing that when Tulsa happened, when Greenwood happened, it, it, it blunted economic development and progress for all of Black America. And, and they had the, the actual, the actual uh, uh, methodology and scholarship behind it. You know, we're not just saying this anecdotally. Like, no, we have the scholarship behind it. We now have medical evidence, scientific facts, right? That trauma travels through DNA and it travels through, through generations. All of that we will be able to bring out in a judicial form and have a trial on all of that information. It's truly amazing and overwhelming to think about that we will get that chance to do that. Well, you know, what you're saying, uh, you, you understand what you just said. I hope you understand. If I am the city or the county or the state and I'm hearing that, well, won't that, we, we settle. You, you know, you don't, does the city understand what it would mean to have all of that come out in trial and all out in the open. That, that, that utterly undermines what you described earlier, their attempt to pimp 1921 to some tourism, for some tourism dollars. You can't have that. If I'm the city, if I'm the county, if now, you know, if that were to happen, that would just make the case even stronger. And like you said, set a precedent for so many other cases, for so many other situations around the country. You said something else earlier when you were talking about the bombing. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, the bombing in Tulsa, the bombing in Ukraine. You said, you know, they bombed us. It, it, it talks a little bit about who the they were, because they had planes and everything. I've always been curious, where did the planes come? Were these the city planes? Were these private planes? Were these government planes? What do we know about that? 
So what we know about that is that these planes were private planes that were commandeered by the city. Uh, and we do know that one of those in the one of the companies whose planes were used was the Sinclair Oil Company, which is still in existence today. Under uh, it's been through a series of mergers and, and different things, but the entity itself is still alive through uh, uh, successor entities. Um, they denied that that happened even for you know. They denied, first they denied anything happened. They denied the massacre. Of course, as you know, they first tried to call it a riot. Right, right. And that was very strategic. You know, our audience needs to know that it was strategic for them to call these pogroms, these massacres, as riots because this allowed insurance companies to avoid pain because of the riot clauses. And that's what they had tried to do in Tulsa. And we fought really hard uh, to, to change that language. You know, As you, as you engage in all these fights like we have to do, Mark, you have a lot, a lot of losses. You have a lot, a lot of obstacles. And you don't get to have a whole bunch of wins. But, but when we start, and even in this case, you know, we've had a lot of losses. But that's a huge win that we got. We have this whole thing changed from being called a riot to a massacre. That didn't happen just because. That happened because a select few people uh, who, who really made it a point to say, no, 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 no. This is a massacre, and this is why. And so, but then but then after they had to accept that, yes, this actually happened, then they tried to say, well, we don't know if there any planes were, were used, but now they had to admit to that. And, and on June 1st of last year, 2021, uh, President Joe Biden came to Tulsa, as many people know, and he gave a speech, and um, it was the first time that a president had acknowledged what happened here. And he actually acknowledged too again, yes, this was uh, uh, a massacre and there were the use of um, planes. And so it's, no one can deny it now. The president of the United States has stated it. It was use of, use of planes here. And um, we always believe the black, you know they say in the Me Too movie, we believe women. Well, we believe black people. And that's why at our Justice for Greenwood Foundation, you know, our litigation and advocacy aspects are very, very front and center, but we also have three other major programs. And one of them is our uh, We Are Greenwood program, which is about oil history and genealogy, because we believe Black people. We understand the griot um, uh, tradition in our community. We understand how important it is that the oil history travel down, and we've collected that from our survivors and our descendants. It's also important to us to document properly the genealogy of those descendants, because we have tens of thousands of descendants throughout the world. I mean, uh, and we are in contact. We have descendants in France, and we have a lot in New York. We have a huge descendant community in Los Angeles, Kansas City, Chicago, Dallas. And our goal at Justice for Greenwood is to chronicle each and every one of those descendants. And we, and, and when we use the term descendant, I think we, we believe we're doing something else revolutionary because there are two forms of descendants. There are direct lineal descendants, and then there are collateral descendants. Because we understand that in our communities, uh, hell, I don't know how many aunties and uncles and cousins I have that are not blood, but they my family. And so we have to, we have, to have a framework, a workable framework that, that incorporates that and understands that, but at the same time, keeps some level of accountability, credibility, 
and accuracy in the, the, the documentation. So we're working on all of that. At the same time, we're working on this litigation. It's truly exciting. We have a full-time oil historian. We have two um, magnificent, powerful Black genealogists, Black women who specialize in the genealogy of Black people in Oklahoma. One is Angela Raji. She's out there in Baltimore. And then Gail Jackson is over in um, Kansas City. Uh, so we have a small team, but we have a mighty team. And so I just ask, again, those who want to support our work, work at Justice for Greenwood, you know, log on, give us a donation, sign up, work with us, because we're doing some revolutionary work that, are, that will be modeled. We're doing work that will be a model for communities around this country. No, no, no question you are. And folks, we do invite you to go to justiceforgreenwood.org. Before we go, one, one other question, the, the other million dollar question. Can you confirm that the Gap Band song, You Dropped a Bomb on Me, is reminiscent or kind of a cameo raising Tulsa in 1921? I can 100% and with great enthusiasm confirm that. Uh, Gap Band, the name Gap Band stands for Greenwood Archer and Pine, which Come are on. three cross streets, main streets in Greenwood. My mother, uh, uh, class of 1973, Booker T. Washington High School, the greatest high school in the history of this country, uh, is also the high school of the Gap Band. Uh, they actually performed at her prom, so we, we, you know, we grew up with them. Of course, they're much older than I am, but they, she grew up with them. I know them very, very well. And yes, I can confirm that. Dr. Bomb on me was talking about Tulsa, talking about the bombs that they dropped from the sky. And so everybody knows the Gap Band, and particularly now with Charlie, with Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie Wilson, for many, many years, he talked about this last year. He wouldn't even come to Tulsa. He didn't want to perform in Tulsa uh, um, for the reasons uh, of, of that. So, yes, I'm happy to confirm that. I mean, uh, and, and I talk about Booker T. Washington High School because, um, and I say with all sincerity, it was the greatest high school in the history of this country because it was a black, all-black high school that was the heartbeat and the centerpiece of Greenwood. It was the first school uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line to get what was called the North Central uh, Association Accreditation for high schools. Um, I didn't say the first black school south of the Mason-Dixon line. I said the first school in 1920. It had a curriculum at the time of the massacre. It had a curriculum that right now you would think is AP courses teaching uh, trigonometry, calculus, uh, uh, Latin, Greek, uh, uh, advanced literature. In 1921, it has produced countless uh, national leaders like Dr. John Hope Franklin, um, countless athletes. We just had a first round athlete be drafted, um, Dax Hill out of the University of Michigan. It has had an unbelievable example or mark on this country because that's what that's what allowed one of the reasons that allowed Greenwood to be born. We talk about the massacre. Another thing that Justice for Greenwood is important to us, it's not just about the massacre though. We have to understand how was Greenwood created? What was the environment that allowed black people to create such a prosperous organ, uh, community in the midst of Jim Crow? And to understand that, you gotta understand the education of, Green, of Booker T. Washington. You gotta understand the land ownership of all these black people and how did they get so much land? Then you gotta start talking about my people, the Black Creeks and the Black Cherokees who came to Oklahoma across the Trail of Tears in the 1830s and had been living as free and independent people 
after the Civil War from 1866 to statehood. Oklahoma didn't become a state in 1907. So he had 50 years of Indian territory where Black people were living here, landowners, free and independent. And that allowed, we called ourselves Native Blacks, that allowed state Negroes, those who come out of the United States of America, looking to run away from Jim Crow, to come to Oklahoma, settle next to these Black settlements that had already been here. And that's how you get Greenwood land ownership, freedom mind state, and then you have the economic wealth and educational concentration of greatness. These are things that we gotta bring back to our communities to rebuild Greenwoods. Land ownership, freedom mind state, economic wealth, education concentration. That's the formula. So we don't just talk about the destruction of Greenwood, that's what our case is about. But we talk about what caused, what created Greenwood, and then how to Greenwood rebuild somewhat itself after the massacre, and then it was redestroyed again as a continuation of the massacre doing urban renewal, which we call Negro removal, right. where they specifically, intentionally, and purposely put the highway through our the remnants, the remaining remnants of the business community for the mark for the stated purpose, the stated purpose of destroying whatever was left of Greenwood, and number two, to push us further north and have a physical barrier segregating the black community from the white community. Okay, that's our nuisance right there. Because that highway still is there. It had locked in, it took, whoever was left, took their land for nothing. So all of that is important in our history. The litigation is front and center now because we have three living survivors. We wanna get them justice before they die. We do not want them to die like the other thousands, tens of thousands of survivors and victims who died without justice, but it's so much more. And that's why people should connect with us at Justice for Greenwood. And that's why I'm so, thankful and appreciative of you using your awesome platform to allow us to have this conversation today. No, this is mandatory. And folks, I want as we go, I want everybody to understand something. Our brother, who obviously is, is an excellent representative for our people and a representative in this case, um, what he is talking about is a collective mindset. You know, there's some now who are making this argument that everything must be lineage based and it must be proven. But what he is saying to us, even in this case, they, these aren't individual cases. This is not, because that does get into the statute of limitations. This is about the impact upon this. This has had upon the whole community for generations, generations, generations. The collateral damage it has done aside from those who were individually and directly impacted we all are impacted um just this week god bless her, the interior secretary said they're going to investigate what happened in the native native american schools in the 1800s all right and that's good they should do that but i want people to understand that that when that type of thing happens then it's because sometimes, unfortunately, Demario, some of us even, we, and that's the part of the vestige, the self-minimalization. You know, we're on the spectrum a lot of times between self-minimalization and self-hatred. So sometimes we have to hear, like you use the word po pogroms, and that's usually a word that's confined to the Jewish experience. But sometimes we need to hear how other people address their trauma historical trauma and oppression to make us feel like, wait a minute, we, we can do that too. So that's what it takes. That's fine. Deb Holland, absolutely. I support you a thousand percent in doing that. Now, Black folk, 
Don't get scared and upset and say, well, Mark and Mark, they ain't gonna let us do that. Y'all crazy. We can't do it. Uh-uh. This is long-term transgenerational trauma. Transgenerational. You know, so we all feel it. We all know it. We all talk about it. And we can't continue to sweep that under the rug. And people are still enriched. Right. We just now we just talking about Tulsa. And 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 what Tulsa can do for every place else. Because this is everywhere. The Tulsa wasn't the only place that was bombed. It wasn't the only city treated. It wasn't the only, and you go, you get into redlining, as you mentioned, urban renewal, Negro removal. You get into all of that. All of these cities are affected, not to mention the I was about ready when you were talking, I was about ready to look at my phone and see if there was a public nuisance law somewhere in the US code. Because we can light them up with that, but, but the, the whole the whole federal government. But this is the approach, it and it it, it affects all of us. And so I, I applaud you, brother, for approaching this, coming up with the legal theory in the way you have. And folks, again, we invite you to this won't be the last time we talk about this, it won't be the last time you hear about it. But this is the struggle. As I said, when, when Deb Holland made her announcement, and I'm assuming people know, but there were Native American, there were Native American schools set up by the federal government in the 1800s where Native American children were ab- abused right. and terrorized and traumatized. Um, she's secretary. That's what she's supposed to do. That's what, of course, that's what we expect her to do that. And thank God she's doing that. And nobody other than those who were just truly racist can bat an eye. They can't say, well, you know, we don't really need to do that. We don't want to deal with that. There's still something about the black experience, the enslavement experience, that everybody just gets tripped out. Why I think DeMario is because of their own fear, their own inability to face the reality that this country was built on our backs almost exclusively. And everything that was done to us has yet to be reconciled and repaired. And I guess people get overwhelmed because if they really get into that, well, what what's left? What'll be left? What, what, what are we owed? But we got to do it. We got to have the dialogue. We got to have these cases. We got to go to court. We have to continue to be in the streets. All of these things work together. We won the civil rights movement in the cities. It was the individuals. We won in Montgomery. We won everywhere. We won in Birmingham. We won everywhere. We won in Selma. We won everywhere. We went in Tulsa. We could possibly win everywhere. Yeah. So, so this, so what Demario is doing is employing that strategy. Same thing in Brown versus Board. It was the city. All those city suits, those state suits, came together. That's right. So this, this is this is the same thing. This is very historic, very important. I'm energized as well. My brother here is is something else. I'm so proud of him and proud to know him. And he's been doing this for years. We've had an opportunity to know each other and work together. I'm thankful for him. I support him wholeheartedly. And folks, I want you all to do the same. Justiceforgreenwood.org. And 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 he mentioned this in passing, but the CRT, he just gave us some history, y'all. A history they don't want taught anymore. And they don't want people to know this history. They don't want any more black history in the schools. Ain't about CRT. CRT was never taught in schools anyway. It was taught in law school. Right. right. It right. wasn't taught in the schools. Right. So they want this history not to be taught to our young people. And we got to do something about that, too. And so we've had some history today. So share this right. show with people, not just to promote me or the show, but to t- tell some history. He went through the whole history, the history of Tulsa and the lawsuits 
that happened. Uh, this was, again, this was Black Wall Street. I, I'm, and I'm going, you got me going now. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Let's just time out for one minute. Y'all said we had to be segregated. And, and the law was, Plessy said, as we talk about the Supreme Court and the way they change things at a whim, that's what they're doing with Roe. Right, 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 right. So let's go back now. Let's go to Plessy. It says separate but equal. Now, you just take that at its place. You got Wall Street. You got Black Wall Street. Sounds like folks was maybe trying to be equal in terms of our economy. And then they say, psych. No, we didn't really mean that. Y'all can't have. Right, Black Wall Street that is financially right. successful. Wait a minute, I thought you said we had to be over here, but we could be equal. Right. So we just got our stuff together. We got these. You mentioned, I mean, all those businesses, all those people, a black mecca for economy. I thought you said we could have that. Right. We didn't really mean that. Right. So, folks, we we got to really understand what 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 this is really all about. They said, wait a minute. Not only are they doing this, they doing it well. We have to stop it. We have to bomb it. We have to do away with it. So no, no, no. We need to understand what this is and what's going on. Our struggle is not over. We can't be comfortable. And that is why we support our brother, our very special guest today. We've both been carrying on today, but we have to. Y'all just have to understand that. That's what we got to do. Uh, our brother, attorney <laughs> Mario Solomon Simmons, justice for greenwood.org. Brother, we are with you all the way. And we appreciate you and what you've done, the work you're doing. God bless those survivors. That's God right there, y'all. Right. A whole lot of folk ain't living over 100. There's a reason these folk are still here, because there's still more for them to do. They need to be seen and heard. They still have a testimony to give. And some of us need to hear it, because we still, I don't know. how. Uh-uh. We need to hear the testimony that we might live to be over 100 years old to tell the story of how we got over. So that in and of itself is a lesson right there. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Attorney Demario Solomon Simmons, thank you, brother. We can go on and on and on, Lord have mercy. But I, I, God bless you, brother. Thank you for everything. Justice thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for having me on. Justice for Greenwood.org, y'all. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.